0: It's winter, and it's exciting to me because here in South Florida, we don't have to have snow to kind of have the winter excitement, right? I mean, we just have to hit, you know, in the 40s somewhere. I'm not even sure they're going to have school next or tomorrow. So anyways, we are glad you're here. This is one of my favorite series of all time because I love talking about your destiny, about your success, about prospering and what God's created you to do. And we can't talk about living life intentionally without talking about what we do with our money intentionally because money is one of those things that we all you know we all deal with we all think about how many of you have thought about money at least once this week let me see your hand you've impacted money and some oh, raise it high all right so I see who, who hasn't thought about money this week but, so we got to be intentional over the holidays Steph and I were in Orlando with uh, Carson and Bailey and when I was growing up I didn't pay a lot of attention to to the you know how much gas cost in the sense of whether I saved two cents here or you know a penny there, it seemed like it took more gas to find those stations than it did. So if I had $5 in my pocket, which is normally about how much I had when I was a, a teenager, I'd get $5 worth of gas. And I'd drive until it ran out. And then when I got some more money, I'd get me some more gas. Well, even as an adult, I haven't changed a whole lot. We were in Orlando, and we had about three-quarters of a tank of gas, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to fill it back up. We're here for a few days, and then we won't have to stop again on the way home. <clears throat> so I just drove into a station. Really didn't pay a lot of attention. I filled it, the, the car up. I went inside to pay, and I thought, man, that, that seemed like a lot of money. You know, gas is, what, a couple of dollars a gallon at most places? And, and, uh, and I looked at it. And it wasn't, you know, two dollars a gallon. It was five dollars and ninety nine cents a gallon, and, and that scared me. Cause I ran out to the car, and I'm like, "Steph, you know, you need to look on your phone. Something must have happened in Iran. I mean, maybe they attacked us or something. Because how did gas go from two dollars to six dollars overnight? And you know, when you're not intentional with your money, you can do some pretty crazy things." and find yourself in some pretty difficult situations. So I, I, I want us to talk about it. We're going to start with a little money trivia, okay? How many of you feel like you're pretty good at money? Let me see your hand. You, you feel like you're just pretty good at money? All right, there's, there's several of us here. But the majority of us, you're in the right place, okay? <clears throat> Let's see what you know. Number to six, six, six quick questions, See what you know about money. Question number one. This is a true or false question. Benjamin Franklin added in God We Trust to U.S. Currency. Benjamin Franklin added in God We Trust to U.S. Currency. True or false? <clears throat> number two. Which bill has the shortest lifespan? Which bill, you know, is it the 5, the 10, you know, what 20? What, which bill... Out of all the ones that we have is the shortest lifespan. Question number three, another true or false. There are $500 bills in circulation in the United States. There are $500 bills in circulation in the United States. Question number four. How many times can you fold a bill back and forth before it tears? How many times can you fold a bill back and forth before it tears? Question number five, this is true or false. Paper money is actually made of paper, okay? Is that true or false? Paper money is actually made of paper. And then the last question, another true or false, we'll end on, the most valuable piece of currency ever produced in the United States is the $100,000 bill. All right? The most valuable currency ever produced in the United States is a $100,000 bill. How many of you think you got all of them right? And you, okay, let's see how you did. Number one, true or false, Benjamin Franklin added, in God we trust U.S. currency, what do you think it is? It is false. It was actually the U.S. Congress, get this, I, I, it was, the year I think is going to freak you out a little bit, 1957. Okay, so it wasn't until 1957, it wasn't one of those things that have always been. Number two, which bill has the shortest lifespan? The $50 bill. It's interesting, right? The um, $50 bill lasts 3.7 years. The $10 bill lasts 4.2. And the $5 bill lasts 4.9. Now, you would think that the one that you use the most would last the shortest. So my conclusion is you guys use $50 bill a lot more than I do, all right? I'm like a five and a ones guy myself. Question number three, true or false, there are $500 bills in circulation in the United States? It is false. It is false. Question number four, how many times can you fold a bill back and forth until it tears, before it tears? 4,000 times. True or false? Paper money is actually made of paper. Yes, false. It's three-fourths cotton and one-fourth linen. So you could wear it if you needed to. <laughs> number six, true or false? The most valuable piece of currency ever produced in the U.S. is worth $100,000. That is true, all right? There was a $100,000 bill in the 1930s, but we didn't, real people didn't use it. The Federal Reserve did to go back and forth to banks, okay? Now, would you agree with me? There are people who have more money than you, and they're, they're enjoying life. Would you agree with me? And there are people who have less money than you, and they're enjoying life. It seems like you're the only one that's not. I mean, right? I mean, what, why is it that money's such a challenge? Why is it that money seems to be such a struggle? That's what I want to talk about. Now, before we just kind of have this conversation, we need to realize there are some biases, okay? The, the first bias is the one that I have. Steph and I are the lead pastors here at Potential Church. Potential Church has an incredible vision to impact the world. To help people reach their potential, to impact the world for good, to help people, you know, come so that they know the good news of Jesus, to help the hungry, to feed the hungry, to help the hurting. We want to do all those things, and the way in which we do those things are by the resources that are returned by you, and of course, Steph and I are a part of that. So there's a bias, right? We are able to run after the vision to change the world, and it's funded by those who give. So do I want you to give? You bet your bottom dollar. All right. I want you to give a bunch. All right. We have a big vision, but you also have a bias. Okay. And the bias that you, and I have this bias as well, because I am a giver as well, is that you want to experience God's favor. You want to experience God's blessing. And at the same time, you want to hang on to the money you have. Right? It's difficult to open up your bank account or open up your wallet and just give away what you have worked so hard for and what you need so desperately. So there is a bias involved in that. Now, both of us are going to do all that we can to try to overcome that. But there are some things that are working in the background. What does God say about our money and our generosity? Does he speak to it? Well, he does. There are lots of places in the Bible. We don't have time to look at all of them, but I do want us to to quickly read through several of them. I didn't put them in your outline, and so you might want to write them down so that you can study them later. But I want us to get a good feel for what the scripture says, what God says about my money and about yours. So let's look at the first one. For God loves a person who gives what? Let's be happy. All right. I know it's tough. Money. What? Gives how? Cheerful. Smile. Just smile. Ah, make you feel a lot better. Cheerfully. So God doesn't want you to give because you ought to. God doesn't want you to give because, you know, you cried over a video. God wants you to have a, a joyful spirit in your giving. And when you do, God will generously provide all you need. It's Pretty good news, right? Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. How many of you are into plenty left over? Right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a, that's okay with me. Plenty left over to share with others. Let's look at the next one. Give and you will what? I, I thought you'd be pretty loud on that one. Receive, okay? Your gift will return to you in what? That's good news, right? So whatever you give, it's going to return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. You ever do that with the trash? You know, your spouse ever asks you to carry the trash out? And so the first thing I do is go to the trash can and push it down, you know? It's like, it doesn't need to be taken out, Steph. I mean, it can wait a little bit longer. And so I make room for more. Well, the Bible says that when you give, that's what God does in your life. He pushes down what he returns to you. Why? So he can give you more, running over, pour it out into your lap. The amount you give will determine what? the amount you get back. That's what the Bible says. Let's look at the next one. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything. I highlighted that phrase because this is the way the message translates that little part of the passage. Give him first and give him the best. All right? So honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. How many of you could use a little good wine? Okay? Now, some of you don't need wine at all. but uh, And, of course, what's he talking about? That's 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 That was the economy. That was their money at the time, the grain. And then, of course, wine is a picture of overflowing or abundance. So look at the next one. If you start thinking to yourself, I did all this, and I did it all by myself. I'm rich, and everything in my wallet is mine. Well, you might want to think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce what you have, to produce this wealth. Let's look at the next one. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Paul is going to go to the church at Corinth. He's going to receive an offering. And so he tells them, hey, don't wait till I get there. First day of the week, which is a Sunday, says I want you to take some of what you have been given or what you have earned and put it aside for the offering. Let's look at the next one. Proverbs 11, The generous will what? Oh, this is a good one. The generous will what? Yeah, right? How many of you are into prospering? That'd be a good thing. Those who refresh others will themselves be <sighs> refreshed. You ever need a refreshment? You know? You ever just feel like, man, there's so much financial stress and all these things are pulling at you? Just need to be refreshed. Let's look at the next one. This is the last one. And I gotta tell you, this is the one that will bring sweat to your brow. Okay? This is the one, there have been some hot and heavy sermons on this one. Malachi chapter 3 says, uh, begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. Now you ask, how have we robbed you, God? And God says, the tithe and the offering. Say that with me. (laughs) That's pretty good. The tithe and the offering, that's how. Look what else he says. He goes on and says, and now as a result of not being obedient in that area of your life, you're under a curse. A whole lot of you. Why? Because you're robbing me. But we can fix it. Bring your full tithe. And, and how much is a tithe? Ten percent. That's what it literally means, right? Bring a tenth to the temple treasury so that there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this. See, if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out a blessing beyond your wildest dreams. That sounds pretty cool. Now, there are a lot of other verses, hundreds of them we could look at, but I just wanted to give you a good feeling for what God has to say about my money and about yours and about our responsibility to be generous. Well, what does God say about the other side of the coin? Does God say anything about our desire to hang on to what we have? Does God say anything about our greed? Well, let's look. We, again, I didn't put these in your outline, but let's read a few real quick. Ecclesiastes 5.10. This is the wisdom writer, Solomon himself. Those who love money, they'll never have enough. How meaningless it is to think that wealth brings happiness. Let's look at the next one. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? You get the promotion, you get the raise, get the big house, get the nice car, get the ring, and yet lose your eternity or lose your soul. Is there really anything that's worth your soul? Let's go to the next one. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. Now, it doesn't say those who are rich, it says those who long to be rich. Those who are um, materialistic are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. And it plunges them into what's this word? And what? So, ruin and destruction come from what? Desire to be wealthy. A desire to be rich. And then the last one. Then he said, beware. This this is is an important one. You might want to put a star beside it in your Bible. Beware and guard yourself against every kind of what? Say it with me. Greed. One more time. Look at somebody and say it. (laughs) Greed. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. Now, why is, it, why, why is it so difficult? I, I, this is what I wrote in my journal. If God says, and we read it a moment ago, that greed will destroy you. If God says that greed will destroy you, and God says that if you are generous, you will be blessed. If you give, you will receive. So if God says greed will destroy you and generosity will bless you, then why is it so hard to be generous? Why is it so difficult? Why do we struggle so much in this area of our lives? And we do. I mean, um, Americans as a whole give about 3% to charity. And I would just challenge you, look at some of the government officials. Those are running for president. And look at how much they, what percentage of their income they give to charity. And you'd be surprised with how little they give. I, I was looking for Protestants and Catholics. I couldn't find uh, Protestants. It's probably around the same number. But um, Catholics, when they go to church on a weekly basis, or whenever they go to church, the uh, they average amount of the gift they give is, is $10. All right? Less than what it costs to go to a movie. So why is it so difficult for us? To be generous if God says He'll bless it, and on the other side, He says greed is dangerous. I think there are two reasons, okay? And, and, and I put these in your outline. I think the two reasons that make it so difficult is first of all, doubt, which is our fear that God won't keep His word. I think if you're honest, if we're honest, it's not that we don't want to give. I don't even think that in the, that, you know, that we don't believe that some way God's asking us to. I think that the reason we don't do what the scripture says will lead to financial freedom is because, well, what if God doesn't keep his word? What if he doesn't? And I think that most of us have come out that you can't take that chance. Just can't take that chance because what if you're facing the loan officer alone? What if you're standing, you know, in the admissions office at college and you don't have enough money to pay for your college? Or the bill comes in for electricity and there's not enough money in your bank account. I, I think that the reason we don't do what God says will lead to blessing and we're tempted to do what will lead to destruction is because we, we doubt that God is there or that he can do what he said he would do. I think the second reason is darkness, which is our inability to see our greed. And that's the one I want to talk about because that's the one we don't talk about very much. We don't talk about greed. You know why we don't talk about greed? Because nobody thinks they're greedy. Right? Have you ever run into somebody that says, pray for me, I'm greedy. Right? No, you, you, you don't. Nobody believes that they are greedy. If I would have announced last weekend, said, hey, come back next week, we're talking about greed, most of you wouldn't be here. And the reason you wouldn't be here is not because you're like, oh, I don't want to be convicted. It's like because I don't need it. Those rich people, I hope they go, (laughs) right? Because they need to know about greed. But not not me. I'm not I'm not greedy. There's an inability to see our own greed. That's just for rich people. So I want us to look and talk about this for a moment. And and I want us to look at Jesus' words about it. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, Jesus, at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus talks about a whole lot of stuff that he's interested in. A lot of stuff that he feels is important. And money is one of those And so in this greatest talk that's ever been given, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasure here on earth. Moths can come in and eat it and rust destroys it and thieves break in. No, no, store up treasure in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, well, that's where the desires of your heart will also be. Now I want us to look at verses 22 and 23. And this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to study Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. What the heck does that mean? You ever read the Bible and wonder that? When you ever read that and say, what what, what does that mean? What does that have to do with money? Because right after it, he says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other you be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what do verses 22 and 23 actually have to do with money? What's he saying? You know, if you go into your home and the lights are on, you do not trip over the furniture. You step around it. You step over it. But if you turn the lights out and it's pitch black. Have you ever had that happen in the middle of the night? You jump up and you stub your toe. Is there any pain worse in the world than stubbing your toe? Like, oh my gosh, right? And you stub your toe not because you're an idiot. You stub your toe because it, you can't see, it's dark. The lights are on, you can see. If the lights are off, you can't. Well, even if the lights are on, but you're blind, you can't see the furniture. And as a result, you'll trip over it or you'll stub your toe. Well, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that money, our eyes, when they're blind, there's this darkness. Money blinds us. And it blinds us to our greed. Money blinds us to our greed. That's why all of us, really probably all of us, I mean, think about it. Thousands of people that will be at Potential Church this weekend, and there's probably not ten people who think they struggle with greed. Why is that? How can that be? It's because we're blinded by money to not see our greed. And as a result, we walk into the furniture. Right? We walk into the furniture. And remember, what does greed do? Greed brings ruin. Greed brings destruction. Greed brings uh, depression. All these different things. We have the side effects. We just don't believe that the cause is greed. That's why Jesus said, watch out. You realize he didn't say that about any other sin? Why? Because you already know. Listen, he, Jesus didn't say watch out for adultery. Why? Because if you wake up to someone who is not your spouse, you know you've committed adultery. You're not like, whoa, who is this? Right? do oh, oh, you know. How this? No, you know you did it. So God doesn't have to say watch out. He doesn't say that about lying because you know when you lie. But he says it about greed. Because we're blind to it. We don't see it. We trip over the furniture. And many times we have the side effects of greed, but we don't see it. So what I did, and I want to share this with you quickly, is is I want to give you, there's a lot of research on the impact that money has on our lives. And it's contrary to the way most of us live our lives. It really is. So let me give you just a little bit of this. In the University of Minnesota, they did a study about the impact that money has on our lives. And here's what they came up with. They said that contrary to what most of us believe, once we have enough money to meet our basic needs, a higher income does not significantly increase our well-being and may even have a negative effect on some cases. Isn't that amazing? There's no correlation between the uh, amount of money you make and the happiness you experienced. And they said, here's the data, all right? Let me show it to you per capita income in the U.S. rose 150% between 46 and the year 1990. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of spending power. But the percent of people considering themselves very happy did what? It fell. See, we had more money, but we were more unhappy. They went on to say, here's another, and there's tons of data, but in addition, depression rates during that time period rose 10 different times. So we became more depressed and less happy but we had more money. Why? Because those are the side effects of greed. We just don't see it. We just don't see it as greed. Gallup said that 64% of married uh, couples fight about money. Anybody here married fight with, you know, your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend? Now, you don't have to, don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> you fought on the way to church, right? You get in the car, there's not enough gas. You're like, ah, oh, why is there never enough gas? Because I don't have any money. And you just fight. It's the number one cause of divorce in the United States, money. They asked those who were divorced, and 54% of them said that the reason they're divorced is because of money. Christine, I, I can't say her last name. It's S-C-O-L-L-O-N. But she's on uh, one of the professors at Singapore Management University. Here's what she said, and I put this in your outline. Materialism, define, is, materialism defined as the valuing money more than other things often leads people to be less happy. And this is the prevalent conclusion across most studies. People who are materialistic, well, they have worse mental health. They're more depressed. They have worse social relationships. They have lower social productivity. They are less likely to participate in social events or civic organizations. They have lower attitudes towards marriage and children. They are narcissistic. And they have less empathy and are less likely to cooperate. You know anybody like that? truth is, is that probably many of us have one or two of those characteristics. We just don't associate the, the reason as greed. We think it's because we don't have something. If we had more of this or more of that, then I wouldn't feel the way that I did. See, greed is sneaky. That's why we're blind to it. See, most of us don't see it in our own lives. I mean, think about it like this. If you go to the grocery store or Walmart or Target, wherever you go, there is not just one product, is there? In other words, if you're going to go buy toothpaste, there's not just one toothpaste. There's, you know, tons of them. And you've got to choose which one. And there's always a toothpaste that's more expensive than the one you're buying. And there's a toothpaste that's less expensive than the one you're buying. Would you agree with me? And you've got to decide which toothpaste to buy. Well, greed is funny in the sense, maybe you can relate. When Steph and I first got married, here's what we ate every day. Ramen or ramen noodles, okay? I think 10 cents a package. Just add water, heat source, you got a meal, okay? This is all we could afford. Bought it at the Exxon station just down the road. And uh, every once in a while on a big day, we'd put bologna in it, Okay but but we we i mean Raymond noodles that's what that's what we ate that's all that we could afford and we had them for breakfast and we had them for lunch and we had them for dinner but then we started making more money and even though the Exxon still had, had Raymond noodles we moved up to chef boy rd come on now <laughs> you didn't have to put bologna in this because this is beef ravioli meat sauce I'm telling you Then we started making a little more money We weren't getting Raymond noodles And we weren't getting Chef Boyardee Uh Uh-uh TV dinners Come on now This is Marie Callender's Salisbury steak That's right I know big time Steak Steak how does that happen? Well, it, 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 it's natural, right? Because then we're like, well, how, how, how did we get to where we are? Well, the upgrade is so natural. And the problem is, is we do this in all the areas of our lives. It's kind of like anybody ever, you, you ever see those Publix batteries, right? They're really, really cheap. Don't last very long, but they're cheap. Well, when you make a little more money, you get ever ready. Not Publix, ever ready. And then when you've really hit the big time, Duracell. The copper top battery, right? That's right. I got the Duracell. Right? We we do that, we do that with our cars, and we do that with our house, and we do that with our shoes, and we do that with our clothes. I'm not telling you that those things are evil. What I'm telling you that there is this thing that we don't see in our own lives that takes us to a place because we have this hunger for more. We have this hunger for the for the next step up. It, this is what's interesting to me. I went to the uh, Congressional Budget Office, and I discovered that between 1979 and 2011, the average American income increased somewhere between 16% and 56%. Some, on the low end, 16%. On the high end, 56%. All right? So you, you know what that means. Most, if not all of us, are making more money today than we did 20 years ago. Now, 20 years ago, you were living somewhere, you were eating something, you were doing, I mean, you were surviving in some way. And we are all, if, are all maybe most of us, I believe probably all of us are making more money today than we did 20 years ago. And yet, today, 2016, 70%, 76% of Americans live week to week. 22% of Americans don't have $100 in savings in case there's an emergency. How did that happen? How did you make more money... And yet end up in the same situation. It's not because you're evil. It's not because you're bad. It's not because I'm evil or bad. It's because we are greedy. And we don't see it. Because money makes us blind. I'm not saying that wealth is bad. I'm not saying Duracell batteries are bad. I'm not saying because the Bible doesn't define how much you ought to pay for a car. The Bible wants you to wrestle with that. I just want to awaken us to the reality that when you see some of the side effects of greed in our life, we need to try to root out what's causing it. And it's not lack. It's greed. Now, I know this is unpleasant. I mean, I had to study it all week. You just have to listen for a few moments. That's hard. Because nobody sees themselves as greedy. Greed's not a pretty word, right? Let me show you another example where it happens in our lives. Well, let me first tell you this. Juliet, and I can't say her name either, S-C-H-O-R, she's an uh, economist at Boston College, and she says the reason we struggle sometimes is because nobody sees themselves as rich. And the reason nobody sees themselves as rich is that we don't have a class system in the United States, but we have a reference system. In other words, you hang out with people who tend to spend about the same amount of money as you do. They drive a similar car, they wear similar types of clothes, they have similar types of jewelry. And so you look around and you see all these people that are where you are, and you know there are people who have more than you do, so you don't feel rich. And those that you think are rich are hanging out with people just like them, and there are people that have more than them, so they don't feel like they're rich. So maybe other than Bill Gates and the Walton family, nobody believes, and Donald Trump, he's told us he's rich, nobody believes that they are rich. And it's only the rich that are greedy. You know, I talk to people a lot, and uh, they, they tell me, they'll come up to me and they'll say, hey, I'm moving to a new community. Do you know of a good church there? Now that, that, that always amazes me because you're about to make a decision that's going to have a bigger impact on your life and in your family's life than anything else you do. And why are you moving there? For money. It's, it's an opportunity. It's a promotion. I'm going to make more money. Why would I not move there? It, it, it's more money. Now, Understand, I'm not saying you're bad or that you shouldn't move. But what I am challenging you to think about is that while you say God is priority. And you say that God is what you worship and that God is important. And yet, you're making a decision that it will forever impact the lives of your kids and the lives of you. And the driving force behind it is money. But we don't even see it, do we? It's normal. It's assumed. Why? Because money makes us blind. Again, I'm not telling you you shouldn't move or that you shouldn't take the promotion. God gives opportunities. I'm just challenging you and myself on how easy it is for me to allow money to dominate my life and not even see it. It just happened so naturally. When Steph and I moved here, one of the things that the first thing that blew me away is, you know, we came here to do Young Adults, and the staff team that was here, just down the road from this campus, is a mall. And at that mall, there's Olive Garden, and there's Longhorns, and you know, there's those kind of restaurants. And when when we first moved here, that's where they went for lunch. Well, in Arkansas, that's where we went for anniversary. All right? (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> mean, lunch. And I remember coming home and telling Steph, Steph, you're not going to... I didn't even know those restaurants served lunch. I've <laughs> only been there on a Friday night on an anniversary. Like, they're, they're eating there. And it wasn't because they necessarily made more money. It was simply because the, those that they were around. That's that pull of culture. I'm not saying it's bad to go to lunch at Longhorn. All I'm saying is I challenge you. Challenge you. Jesus says, watch out. Greed is sneaky. uh, And it's dangerous. So how do we make money a blessing? How do we do it? Well, Jesus tells us in that same scripture. Go back with me, all right? Matthew chapter 6, look with me in verse number 19. He says, Don't store up what? Treasures. And if you read this, the whole thing's about treasures. So how do we make money a blessing? We have to answer this question, we, or we have to do this. We have to locate and then relocate our treasure. We have to locate. First of all, we have to get honest. What is it that I truly treasure? Because I don't think we're honest about that very often. I think especially if you're a Christ follower, we say God, you know, we, 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 we say what we want it to be or we wished it would be or all those different things. But I think if you really want money to be able to be added to your life in a positive way we got to what do i treasure I, again let me read this real quick uh, david foster he's a professor at kenyon college here's what he says he says if you worship money right if that's what gives you a meaning in life then you'll really never have enough or never think that you have enough if you worship your body beauty sexual allure you're going to always feel ugly and when you start to age, it's going to kill you, all right? If you worship power, you're always going to feel weak and afraid. And you're going to need more and more power to do something about the numbness, of, to numb your own fear. If you worship intellect, you know you want to be smart, you're always going to be feel stupid. You're always going to feel like a fraud that's about to be found out. So here's what happens. When you worship intellect or you worship being smart, what do we think? If there are people that are smarter than me, so if I could just have a little bit more intelligence, a little bit more knowledge, then I could be happy. If we worship money, we know there are people who have more money. And so we're like, if I could just have a little bit more of that money, just a little, then, I, then I could be happy. If it's looks, it's like, man, if I could just get one more procedure, then nobody would guess how old I am because you know somebody who's older than you but looks younger than you. It's like, if I could just have a little bit more. I put it like this in my outline. We are blind, To our compulsion that if we could get just a little bit more, then we would be happy. That's called greed. That's greed. And that's why Jesus says, hey, listen, if you put your treasure in garments, grain, and gold. That's what he says in Matthew 6. Because those are the things that pervade wealth. Clothes were more expensive then than designer clothes today. They were passed down to the next generation. Grain was the economy of the day. And of course, gold is is gold. And he says, all those things can be taken from you. You put your security, you put your treasure in something that could be gone tomorrow. He says, but if you put your treasure in me, it can never be taken away. So we have to locate, what is my treasure? i got to be honest about it. And then I have to relocate it to Christ. How do you do that? That's tough. It's easy to say, but hard to do. Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says, Now, you who believe, those of you who are Christ followers, the stone, which is Jesus, if you read the whole context there, is is what? What's it, what's this word? Precious. It's precious. Who's precious? Jesus is. So how does Jesus become our treasure? He has to become precious to us. It's not enough just to believe. You can believe in Christ and something else still be your treasure. He has to become precious to you. He has to become precious. He has to become a priority to me. He has to become my treasure. What does that mean? It means that I'm willing to do anything to experience more of Him. I'm willing to give up anything in order to experience more of him. That's what a treasure is. I'll go wherever I need to go. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll put behind me whatever I need to put behind me if I could just have some more of him. Because see, whatever is your treasure, that is your attitude towards it. I'll move where I need to move. I'll do what I need to do. I'll sacrifice what I need to sacrifice so that I can just get a little bit more of that. And that's not a one-time decision, is it? That's a daily, hourly decision because there's all these competing things out here that want to be my treasure. I think one of the things that helps is when we understand what verse 9 says of that same chapter. It says, but you are a chosen people. He's talking about you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. That same word could be translated treasure or that you're precious to God. You're God's treasure. What does that mean? Well, see, the Bible has a hard time when it comes to vocabulary that we can understand in describing what heaven is like. The Bible is limited by our vocabulary, but it tries, and it talks about golden streets, and it it talks about crystal seas, and it talks about mansions. And when you read the story of Christ, Jesus had all of that. He had all of that. And yet he said, there's something that I want that I don't have. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to in order to acquire that which I don't have. And I'm willing to give up whatever I need to give up in order to acquire that which I don't have. And do you know what it was that he so desired that he was willing to leave heaven and be born into poverty for you, me? Even though He knows me and He knows you and He knows our greed and He knows our screw-ups and He knows our attitudes and He knows all of that. And yet God says, you are precious to me. You are my treasure. God so loved the world that He gave what was most precious to Him because you and I are His treasure, John 3.16 says. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that, I think he becomes our treasure. Well, how can you evaluate it? How, I, this way I put it, evidence of a relocated treasure. Because see, on the greed side, the Bible doesn't tell you. It says you have to wrestle with it. It doesn't say you can buy a car that costs this much, but you better not spend that much. That's greedy. It doesn't say that. We're the ones that judge heavy on that side, don't we? You're people all the time. Can you imagine they spent that much money on that property or on that ring or on that car. Where do we tend to draw the line? Well, the car we have is the right car. Anything more is greedy. The, the Bible says you've got to wrestle with this. It's a heart thing. But on the generosity side, the Bible makes it real simple. How do you, uh, what's evidence of a relocated treasure? It's the tithe. See, God agrees with me. All right? It's the tithe. Let, let, let me show you. And what does tithe mean? What did we say earlier? Uh, don't choke on it. What does it mean? It means 10%, right? And let me show you this. Let me show you this. And then I'm going to be done. Luke 16. Here's the le- And for, when I read this, you see if you know what it means. Because this has freaked me out before because I haven't understood it. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. That almost sounds like using people, doesn't it? I'm supposed to use my wealth to make friends. That sounds like manipulation. What is, what, what is he saying? He's saying, in the context, and we're going to see this in a minute, he's saying that we use our wealth to make friends. When he's talking about making friends, what is he talking about? He's talking about the people around us coming to know Christ as their Savior. In other words, he's saying you need to use your wealth to help people go to heaven so that when you lose your wealth, in other words, when you die, you are welcomed into an eternal home. That that person that you used your wealth for so that they could know Christ then welcomes you in heaven. Like, thank you, thank you. Because if you look at the next scripture, it says, and if you are untrustworthy with your worldly wealth. In other words, if you don't use what God's given you to help people get to heaven, then God says, I'm not going to trust you. You know, with the riches of fulfillment and peace and joy, the things that you're looking for. So what is the evaluation? It's a tithe. Well, we'll end with the scripture that I said is the big daddy. It's Malachi chapter 3. We're just going to look at one verse, verse 10. Bring all the tithes. What does tithe mean? 10% into the what? What's the storehouse? That's where the food was kept for the sheep. So where are we to take our tithe? Not to grandma, not to the charity down the street. The tithe goes to the place in which you are spiritually being fed. The church in which you are a part of. Those other organizations are important and they are worthy of our offering, but the tithe is not about the vision. It's not about, it's not about whether you like the direction. It's about the place in which you are fed, the place in which you are a part of. He says, I want you to take that 10%, return it because God gave it to you in the first place so that there'll be enough food so that there'll be what? There'll be enough spiritual food to feed others, to reach other people for Christ. If you do this, says the Lord, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great, you'll not have enough room to take it in. Then he says, I know this is going to be tough for you, so try it. Just put me to the test. Tithe is 10%. Sometimes folks will say, was that grocer net? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, that's a great question if you're trying to figure out what God really wants. I know in Stephanie's life, our lives, we always want to give to the big, we want to, we want to give our tithe to the biggest number. In other words, the Bible says the first fruit. When we get a refund on our taxes, we always tithe. And I say tithe because we give it to the local church 20% on that, even though we've already tithed on it. Because we kind of look at it as extra. Anything extra we get, we give twenty percent, at least twenty percent on. At the end of the last year, Steph and I, <clears throat> t- you know, I guess tithe in the in the biblical sense, over twenty percent uh, of our of our income, and yet, even doing that, there have been times when I look back on what I studied this week, where my heart has wrestled with greed. In just a moment, we're going to receive the offering, and that is an opportunity for you to be evaluated. Not by me, not by the church, you. God says, I don't want anybody thinking I'm their treasure when I'm not. So I'm gonna make it really, really simple. You tithe or you don't. And if you don't, do not, do not misunderstand. God says, I do not hate you, but you do not treasure me. I, I, I wrote it like this. It will be an evaluation of our faith, which is our antidote to fear. And it will be an evaluation of my eyes, as do I see my greed. Would you bow your head? Scripture says we don't give because of pressure or a video that makes us cry. A give from a cheerful heart that wants Him to be our treasure. It's all of our choice. God, I pray that Steph and I would watch out for greed. Father, I pray that potential church would always be a church that leverages what you give us to help people go to heaven. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that?